Playlist with Ben and Fiona. And the Academy Award for Actor goes to... Welcome to The Playlist, where we talk about movies and TV shows that are worth your time. I'm Fiona Williams, and I manage our online coverage of movies and TV here at SBS, and I'm joined by my co-host, SBS and SBS Viceland channel manager, Ben Nguyen. Hey, Ben. Hey, Fee. As recent listeners will know, you just spent a week away immersed in cinema by the beach. If you're keeping tabs on me, yes. Yes, I did. (laughs) I was away at the Screenwave International Film Festival in beautiful downtown Coffs Harbour on the north coast of New South Wales. Well, that sounds wonderful. It was good. Lots of movies. Saw lots of things. And speaking of movies, there's been a big night of nights when it comes to movies, the Oscars. So this is our first chance, now that you're back, for us to dissect this year's Oscars and a very different Oscars ceremony this year. Plus, V, you also have an interview with Andra Day, the Oscar-nominated star of The United States versus Billie Holiday, and we'll be offering up our on-demand picks. There is a lot to get through, not least of which is the Oscars. Let's get into it. Let's get into it. So, V, just when we think the Oscars can no longer surprise us, they go and do something crazy, and we will get to that, I promise. But first, the news came out following this year's broadcast that this was the least watched Oscar broadcast ever. And I'm really curious what you make of that. Is that in the US? Yes, in the US in terms of ratings. Mm. Look, I don't know. I don't know what anything means anymore. (laughs) (laughs) So that's my short answer. Secondly, you know, I, I dare say a lot of people haven't seen the films. So maybe they didn't want to watch the Oscars this year. Mm. America is in the grips of the pandemic. Yeah. Um, They may have other things on their mind at the moment, and that's fine too. It could be a combination of all of those things. Um, A lot of the nominees were from streaming platforms, so people with your Netflix and Amazon and whatnot would have been able to see. Yeah, they had the opportunity. Yeah, but a lot of Oscar buzz comes from cinema releases and festivals, Mm. and with many of the world's cinemas shut, um, rightly so, not wanting to gather people together in a dark room in a pandemic, but um, I think that probably nipped a lot of that buzz um, for some of the lesser-known films. But still... I watched it. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. I think I think as as film lovers, this is sort of almost a pilgrimage we make every year. Mm. But I, I think that every year there is that commentary around yeah. who are the Oscars for and there's a, an argument that some people make that a lot of the most popular films every year don't really get a look in. Um, it's an interesting awards because... It's trying to award the best of predominantly American cinema because it's the American Academy and it is all skewed by that selection of voters that form the Academy and it can be very political. But I think, you know, for film lovers, it's considered important because whatever they dub the best picture of the year, that does go down in the history books and and obviously, you know, we may or may not agree with that and there Mm. are many controversial choices over the, over time. Oh, yeah. Green book. <laughs> but I guess sort of the question is if these films that they're awarding are films that the general public haven't seen, is this sort of increasingly a niche event that, that has no relevance to the broader movie-watching public? 
Right. Um, I don't think this is the year to rank that on, give it, you know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I, I don't. I'd, I'd kick that down to back when everyone emerges from their bunkers fully vaccinated and can go and sit in rooms and whatnot and watch yeah. movies once more, hopefully. Um yeah, I don't think this is the year to decide that it's a niche event. Because, as we said, the just opportunity to watch these films went away, so it wasn't for lack of effort. Uh, you know, in Australia here, all of these films, mm, I think, um, have had releases all coming up. A lot of the international ones maybe have been held back for later release, often due to the Oscar buzz. <laughs> like, yeah. That's a good way to promote your film. Yeah. But who are the Oscars for? Look, they're for people who love movies and this ceremony especially was for people who love movies and don't need to see clips from movies because they did excise that, but maybe we'll get to that. It is it is a tricky one, but everything was off. It was just going to be different, <laughs> full stop, on so mm. many levels, and it was. It certainly was, and I, and I think if we were to just make it a full-on popularity contest yeah. and base it on what did the biggest box office, I don't know that that would solve the Oscars mm. problem and I think it's interesting that, that awards that have gone down that route, like the MTV Movie Awards, they're not necessarily hugely rating either. So yep. I, I don't know that that's the answer. Yeah, I don't think that's the answer. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no. Because then they did try that with a popular category or they tried to float the idea yeah, of having that and right. that got shot down in 10 seconds because then it would be just a Marvel versus DC kind of a event. And, you know, those films can get nominated as best pictures um, mm. and they certainly figure in the um, in the craft categories, that's for sure. Yeah. But Oscars are a chance to, they don't always take it up, but they're a chance to highlight films that are little seen, but they are amazing films, um, you know, and internationally especially. there are You do sometimes get the crossover from the international category into best film or into um, documentary like they did this year. But, yeah, it's just that opportunity to look beyond the Marvel and DC universe. As good as they are, don't at me. It's, (laughs) (laughs) you know, there's more films too. Yeah. No, you've won me over. (laughs) (laughs) So... So let's get down to this year's ceremony. Can we? All right. So, so many things were different. Not in the traditional Dolby theatre. They filmed this in a train station. Yep. Why not? Um, uh, admittedly, like a beautiful Art Deco train station in Los Angeles in a room that I think does get used for functions and events. Um, I saw someone on Twitter post that they'd had their wedding there, which was very sweet. <laughs> and I nice. think they were a film writer as well. So sort of oh, that must have meant a lot to them. But uh, Steven Soderbergh, the filmmaker, was behind this year's broadcast, which is a very unusual choice in itself because... Usually they kind of go for these veterans of live television and and variety and he brought a different spin to it. But I guess we just can't go past the biggest clangor, which was the decision to move the best picture category, which usually ends the night, forward in order to end with best actor. Yeah, and you can't help but think that was kind of a layup to then have this incredible moment for who was far and wide the front runner, Chadwick Boseman, the late mm. great, to finally get his posthumous Speaking Oscar. Of, of Marvel pictures. Well, true. <laughs> yeah, look, they're great. He was great in it. Don't get me wrong. Um, but it, yeah, of course he left us far too soon and his widow has been doing incredible speeches on his behalf mm. throughout this awards season. 
And clearly this was set up for that magic moment at the end in this year of all years, in the wake of the Derek Chauvin verdict. Yeah. You know, an incredible moment for a black actor didn't happen. Yeah. <laughs> he did not win. Um, and if anything, that hit home how little the producers know of their results because I've, I've always assumed they had a little inside knowledge for the yeah. way that they, the, for who they get to present the final awards. It's, it's got to be typically. your first question, right? When you sort of take over the broadcasting job, you're like, well, tell me the winners in advance. Yeah. <laughs> i got to work this show, people. Yeah, yeah. give you some inside information. But um, nah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, like you think back to past ceremonies where they had Spielberg, um, Coppola and Lucas come out to finally give a directing Oscar to Marty, their mate Marty for The mm. Departed. Yeah. That worked. But clearly that was in case Marty got the award and they could very well have given best film to Little Miss Sunshine that year. Like <laughs> <laughs> they didn't know. But that one did work. But also there was the year back when Michelle Obama presented the Oscar, first time a first lady did it, she ended up giving it to Argo. But that seems a weird choice. But that was also the year Lincoln was nominated. So you think maybe that was set up for the moment when Lincoln won, when the first lady, a woman of colour in the White House, her descendant of a slave, you know, like you can see that that was maybe the thinking and having Michelle Obama present that year. She gave it to Argo, also a political film, but not quite on that part. But yeah, so, but no, Chadwick. Yeah, yeah. So we had the best picture, which went to Nomadland. Yes. And Chloe Zhao, who'd also won Best Director, she accepted the award, as did Frances McDormand as one of the film's producers, and gave a great speech in that regard. Then she immediately had to turn around and accept the Best Actress Award as well and gave sort of, almost sort of had said her piece so she had little to add. <laughs> she howled. She howled for Best Picture, yeah. yeah. So you couldn't, you sort of really couldn't go up from there. And then we had, so Joaquin Phoenix, who was handing out these awards, announcing the Best Actor as the final award for the night, and it went to Anthony Hopkins, who by all accounts was asleep in bed at his home in Wales. It was 4am. Anthony's <laughs> not staying up. So very, very uh, anticlimactic mm. end to, to the event. And... There wasn't a clip because they were insistent there were going to be no thank yous by Zoom. Pre-recorded, yeah, they were adamant about that. So there were these satellite events set up. We saw Sydney on the screen for for the Borat contingent. Yeah, but uh, you know there was a satellite event in Paris and there was one in the UK um, at the British Film Institute, but. Yeah, Anthony didn't travel to that and they wouldn't let him do a Zoom and he didn't think he was going to win, <laughs> quite frankly. But mm. uh, he's now put a beautiful um, thank you speech on on his social media accounts, acknowledging Chadwick Boseman, of course. But it was weird, A, to swap the order of events, then to have the Best Actor Award go to the person that <laughs> no one was expecting. Yeah. Uh, and then he wasn't there to accept it anyway. So Joaquin was like, okay, thanks for watching. Bye. Yeah. <laughs> And Twitter did the rest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so a very, very strange broadcast. Uh, but a night of many firsts, mm. I think, um, Fee, you've you've had a little look at this. Yeah, look, I mean, it was historic. So everyone's focusing on the weird ending, of course. Um, <laughs> and I think one thing coming out of this, and someone made the point that for Chloe Zhao to win, she's second woman, first woman of colour. Yeah. It took away from that to not have her go up for director and then double back for film, yeah. that it didn't culminate in that wow moment. Mm. Um, 
So that's a con in the pros and cons. Um, But look, so first for her, you know, she's Chinese. She took home the Best Director Prize. Of course, Ya Jung-yeon won for Minari. First Korean performer to win an acting Oscar um, Mm. and only the second Asian woman. Third, if you count Natalie Portman as Israeli-born, but we don't. (laughs) So, yeah, just if there's any fact-checkers there, no. Um, And then there were two black women, Mia Neal and Jamaica Wilson, who won Oscars for makeup and hairstyling for the very first time. Um, And Mia Neal gave a fantastic speech saying, you know, hopefully one day we're not going to (laughs) be – that's not going to be the headline. Um, What else was the first? Emerald Fennell – was the first woman to take home a solo screenwriting Oscar in 13 years. Oh, wow, yeah. Trayvon Free was the first black man to win in the best live action short category. Um, mm. And he was recognised for Two Distant Strangers, which is about police brutality. Mm. Um, and he gave an excellent speech as well. So a night of a lot of firsts. Yeah. Um, Oscars, they had great form, you know, a few years ago now, um, when the night Denzel and Halle Berry won their Best Actor and, and actor, Actress Oscars um, mm. and everyone thought, oh, the Oscars turning a corner. But yeah. no. So <laughs> more work to do, but we'll take a little bit of heart in these firsts and just keep watching. Yeah. I'm, I mean, ending aside, I, I think opinion is split on these Oscars. I've heard people, many people say it was a bit of a snore fest. I actually enjoyed it. as a, and And I think a big factor was... We had really interesting winners and I think a lot of them gave really interesting speeches and because they weren't played off by the orchestra, they had time to actually say their piece and say it in a way that was meaningful for them. Ya Jung Yoon, uh, a chief among them, I think, that <laughs> yeah. uh, her speech, and we may as well hear a little bit of it, just uh, every, every, I think everyone there in the theatre, home on Twitter, were re- was really lapping it up. Mr. Brad Pitt, finally. <laughs> nice to meet you. Were you. Where were you while we were filming in Tulsa? It's very honoured to meet you. <laughs> uh, as you know, I'm from Korea, and actually my name is Yeo Jung Yoon, and it, most of European people call me Yeo Young, and some of them call me Yoo Jung. But tonight, you are all forgiven. <laughs> <laughs> and, well, well we, I usually, when I'm living in the other part of the world, I just watch the television. It is an Oscar uh, but event on the television, just watching like a television program for us. But me being here by myself, it's, I cannot believe <laughs> I'm here. It was outstanding. You know, she throws a little shade as well. I love it. <laughs> she called out producer Brad Pitt, who, you know, he produced the film. She said, where were you when we were filming in Tulsa? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, Brad. Um, yeah, like, I love that she's on this incredible ride this award season, but she doesn't take any of the patronising, oh, you're so cute, little old lady from Minari. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like she, she pushes back in a very funny way and, yeah. and she's really made herself a superstar this award season. I mean, she already was, but for people who weren't aware of her work. Yeah, yeah, roasted people who mispronounce her name. Very which, good. Uh, yeah, I yeah. think is fantastic. <laughs> um, she forgives you all because she got her Oscar. <laughs> <laughs> who who else um, did you like to see 
up there collecting their prizes. Well, Daniel Kaluuya had a, had a great speech and he benefited from not being played off because <laughs> he had a <laughs> weird moment where he thanked his parents for having sex. <laughs> <laughs> And if he'd been played off, we would not have gotten that moment and we would not have gotten the classic meme moment now of his mum reacting to yeah, that, yeah, watching yeah. from one of those satellite events. Yeah. <laughs> what did he just say? We all saw him mouth out those words. Um, like That was funny, but also it was a very powerful speech because, of course, he was playing Fred Hampton in um, uh, Judas and the Black Messiah, but he drew attention to the times and just very quotable, when they say divide and conquer, we say unite and ascend. And, yeah, that was a wonderful way of putting it. Yeah, who else had great speeches? There were a few. Yeah, I mean, I I really enjoyed the speech by John Baptiste, who um, accepted the award alongside Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross for Soul. You know, and he talked about embracing what jazz brings to creativity and I just felt like... We got a lot of black culture on stage during the the broadcast. I mean, I think, again, Twitter was divided over this moment, but there was the the kind of music quiz um, (laughs) portion where uh, Lil Ray went round and and did a bit of, uh, was this song nominated, not nominated, um, did it win? Yep. Um, quiz to first Andrew Day, who obviously we're hearing a bit more from later in the show, and then Daniel Kaluuya, and then finally Glenn Close, which was sort of amusing and and clearly sort of pre-planned yeah. that that she sort of knew uh, um, all the information about Dabat, um, which featured in Spike Lee's School Days in great great detail, <laughs> and then finally got up and performed the dance herself yes. uh, for a sort of classic Oscars viral moment. But just even sort of that banter between Lil Ray and uh, Daniel Kaluuya about uh, the last time they hung out together at a sports bar. <laughs> it's great. It's, it is great. <laughs> yeah, those, like I don't think that bit was scripted. Yeah. Um, no. And Glenn Close has acknowledged, yeah, I knew that was coming. But she also, um, there's a photo of her and her table mates because she was at Daniel Kaluuya's table and, um, yeah, she said, she knew it was coming and they helped her workshop her answer and, like, you know, yeah. her, um, for, so she was fully ready for it. But the dance apparently was uh, no one was expecting that. So she um, looked it up and <laughs> had it ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, that was fun. Let's dig in now to the winners a little bit more. I'm really curious, Fee, about whether you think that they deserved the prize. So let's start it with Best Picture, Nomad Land. I finally caught this myself last night mm. and really loved it. I yeah. thought it was a, a really beautiful little film starring Frances McDormand, obviously, as, as a character, Fern, who has lost her husband relatively recently. The entire town that they'd been living in and working in has died out as a result of the recession and she's been forced into a nomadic life and hence the title, sort of living out of a van and and drifting where work takes her, Mm. um, work and friendships, and shot in a very documentary-like style with a lot of people playing themselves really on screen as these ordinary Americans I think that it was a deserved winner. Totally. Yeah, no, I've got no problems with it winning at all. It's a beautiful film and it speaks to the moment as well. You know, like you can look at it as a pandemic movie, like all of the knock-on economic 
impacts of this time that were already, you know, it was already a risky time um, for the American economy. Um, but it, you're right, like it is documentary-like. It's so empathetic. You really walk in Fern's shoes or you live in her van, however you want to <laughs> be cute about it. Um, yeah, it's, it's a beautiful film and I think it, it yeah, thoroughly deserving of Best Picture. Though it was up against some great ones. It was up against some not great ones um, and I'm glad they didn't win. But uh, it, yeah, no issue. It would have been nice to have it, you know, in the broadcast to give it its moment. Yeah. Um, and beautifully directed as well. You know, I've been hot on One Night in Miami ever since I saw it, yeah. you know, months and months and months ago. And alas, Regina King was not nominated. She did open the ceremony beautifully and being a very good sport since she was <laughs> she was snubbed, quite frankly. But, uh, yeah. yeah, who doesn't love Regina King? And she set it off on a, on a fantastic note. But Chloe Zhao, and a gorgeous speech too, you know, she was sort of appealing to just goodness. Yeah, yeah. And for those who haven't, caught up with Nomadland. Yes. It is out very, very soon on both Disney Plus and Foxtel. So people should definitely seek out that. So that timing mm-hmm. has worked well for people who haven't been able to catch it in cinemas. Yes. Um, well, let's go to Best Actor because uh, I haven't seen The Father, uh-huh. but but you have. Um, what do you think of Anthony Hopkins for the winner there? Controversy aside. Yeah. I confess, for those who haven't seen it, I and maybe feel like it's oh well of course that one. Um, I did have some preconceptions about the film, and I thought eh, we've seen a lot of films with actors of a certain age doing a film where their character has Alzheimer's, and it's a it's an actor's performance opportunity. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Um, yeah. And that is true. Here, I had no idea. A, about how it was scripted and how the journey you go on in the film because it's it's far different to what I was expecting and for the better. Yeah, like, it is a hell of a performance by him. Um, he does get a moment, so if they were doing clip reel, I know the scene they would have um, used. But, yeah, look, it is a, it's a wonderful performance by him, so I can see why that got late traction. And there's also a good piece, I'm not going to remember where I saw it now, I think it was New York Times, Um on the journey of the film to, to culminate in this moment because Chadwick was the hot favourite mm. um, and this film, they opted not to distribute The Father on a streaming platform to give it that chance at the cinemas and the word of mouth and the, so it, they, they feared, I mean, I've just confessed I had reservations going and they feel like, you know, on a streaming service where it's a whole lot of things, you, it might sit in your... Um, favourites, exactly, and just get a bit of a stink about it, like Mm. some films tend to. Um, But so they they waited and just had, you know, in a pandemic, that's that's a gamble (laughs) with cinemas shut. But um, with vaccinations being what they are, it did have a bit of a late opportunity to be seen at the cinemas and then the word of mouth got stronger and then it kind of was this late bolter Um, and ultimately, yeah, got the Oscars. Also, they, they did... In the old days, they used to send screeners, you know, physical media, and they did that with this film as well. For your consideration. Exactly. (laughs) Uh, So they did send out DVDs of it as well. So, of course, that probably connected with the older voting um, members of the Academy. But equally, even if you didn't watch the DVD, it's a physical reminder of it. You see the DVD sitting there on your desk probably and, you like, the film is, you see the title and it's still in your memory. But uh, anyway, for whatever reason, <laughs> uh, yeah, it 
certainly was a surprise, but having seen the film and the performance, it is a very good one. Mm. Well, it sounds like it's deserved. Um, international feature film was yes. won by a film that we've chatted about before, Another Round. And again, friend we, of the show, Mads Mikkelsen. Can I just get that in there again? Absolutely. And uh, Thomas Vinterberg, in accepting, that also was a very moving speech because, of course, he lost his daughter in the production of that film and he used the acceptance to pay tribute to her. Did you feel like it was the worthy winner of that category? Uh, well, it's hard to separate that. Like he was also nominated for director and I thought, ooh, that could. <laughs> like for directing a film when you've experienced such loss to then regroup and make the film, that's a directing feat. Um, mm. I thought maybe it might not win the film but then he may win the director. But anyway, that's not what happened. Look, that experience to then make a film that celebrates life the way another round does, look, can't fault it. I lo- I yeah, love the film. I did see Coivada Saida, which was also nominated, but hasn't had a release here yet. So it's, yeah, very few have seen it. It's not coming out for, for some time. But I thought if you've seen that, that might win. It's stunning and devastating and it's set in old Yugoslavia in the wars around the Srebrenica massacre and it is devastating mm. <laughs> and it ended on a big sob for me and um look I thought if you've seen that then that could really get your vote collective as well we've talked about collective yeah. that didn't walk away with any unfortunately that was mm. both in documentary and in international film yeah another powerful powerful film but uh I'm fine with another round winning too. I don't know. They're all winners. I, I haven't seen uh, two of them. I didn't see the film from Tunisia or Better Days, so can't speak to those. Well, speaking of documentary, the winner of documentary was My Octopus Teacher, yeah. which again was a Netflix release. Mm. Um, this one you haven't seen. I haven't. It's in my favourites and it's going to stink about it now because I've watched it. <laughs> I, um, I caught up with it now that it's won. I mm. think it's it, this has also had a bit of a polarised response, <laughs> I think, because it's a pretty straightforward audience-friendly film yeah. made by a well, featuring a man, Craig Foster, not to be confused with SBS's sports analyst, Craig Foster, who um, is an underwater cinematographer. He um, has worked on some of the David Attenborough Blue Planet films and he just started going out into the ocean near where he lives and befriended this octopus and spent a year filming the life of this octopus. And, um, you know, it's kind of been made into a larger story featuring a a key interview with him. And, I mean, it is a beautiful tribute to the natural world and the connection that humans can make with that world. And I think what it does very cleverly, having read a little bit about the thought process in the production and the South African director, is that they did make the decision not to overtly focus on conservation messages or climate change messages or, or even though sort of they're all relevant to the story um, and just focus on the, the connection between this human and this animal, which many of us can identify with and, and sort of no wonder the film has taken off on Netflix. Yeah. But sort of maybe not the kind of film that, you know, pulls the rug out from under you or, or sort of takes you into a world that you've never seen before. Yeah. Um, best animated film was Soul 
And uh, I did mention this to you earlier and, and noticed a little shrug on your yeah. <laughs> your part. You yeah. N- not... I didn't love it. I did not love it. And I thought I would. Yeah. You know, all of the Pixar films are Pete Doctor films. I mean, Inside Out devastated me. And he does these existential stories. And here it's you know, about a jazz musician. Mm. It's about the afterlife. It's about soul. It's called soul, for God's sake. And yeah. um, it, It's very much about the meaning of life. I mean. Correct. That <laughs> <laughs> left me cold. No, it, um, it, because for a large portion of the film, like Tina Fey is in it and she inhabits the lead character's body mm. and it's. It, it becomes a body swap comedy it basically. Does. Yeah, It's a body swap comedy. There's a lot of the secret life of pets kind of yeah. story yeah. to it. So it, it loses that connection for me and it just felt like, oh, that for a film with a black lead, an existential film like Pixar does so well, Tina Fey is him for most of the movie and he's a cat <laughs> and what? So, yeah, Oscar-winning soul. What about what you I liked? I like undoubtedly beautifully animated. There were some really gorgeous touches. I saw some discussion around when it came out about even the length that they'd gone to to realistically animate black hair, mm-hmm. like in the, the barbershop scenes. Yeah. I think that there's an attention to detail which you can't fault. Yep. And I think I probably agree with you that there's some familiarity in the story notes and maybe they feel a bit derivative mm. um, for that reason. But, you know, it did move me. I yeah. think, think I may have shed a, shed a tear. That's fine. So, <laughs> Look, it won the Oscar. I, I'm rowing this boat alone. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was up against Shaun the Sheep Farmageddon, <laughs> which I've <laughs> seen. It's very cute. But, yeah, not it's not a existential investigation. Uh, yes, Wolf Walkers, there was a big portion of um, Twitter who were gunning for that too. But, um, yeah, no. And, and you're right, John Patiste did, did a great speech. So it sounds like all in all... You know, we we were fairly impressed with the results. Yeah. A strange year of cinema, but a decent year. I know Francis McDormand called that out a little bit and, and talked about what we should do. Yes, that's true. She did recognise that cinemas have been shut for the large part of the year and she urged people to watch it on the biggest, watch her film and all the nominees on the biggest screen possible and if and when it's safe to do so, to regather in large groups in cinemas. And it was interesting that she was the only person to acknowledge that across mm. the whole ceremony. This is a, the Oscars. They are very prone to a montage about the magic of movies. <laughs> and, you know, a couple of years ago, remember, they went into a cinema during a screening, interrupted a movie, never mind, but um, <laughs> to talk about the experience of going to the movie. So it was, there were no montages this year, but... You know, it was a little bit unusual. Too many of them have been bankrolled by Netflix now. <laughs> That's true. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it was a bit orcs. Um, yes, but anywho, that would that was. It's good that she did it. At the no, very it's, least. it's definitely good. Yeah. So before the Oscars happened, Fee, you had a chance to speak with one of the nominees. Correct, yeah. Andra Day, uh, nominated for Best Actress for her performance as Billie Holiday in The United States versus Billie Holiday. It's her first role. Um, mm, you know, really she's an accomplished singer, of course. Yeah, yeah. And you can tell she's a singer because, <laughs> like, she she is not miming. She does the Billie Holiday voice, uh, speaking voice, but incredibly the singing voice. Um, mm. I will also include a shout out to Leslie Odom Jr. 
as Sam Cooke in One Night in Miami, who also blew his singing opportunity away there. Absolutely. You've seen One Night Miami now. Yeah. 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 Oh, it's the best. I love that <laughs> film so much. And so for the United States versus Billie Holiday, we know Billie Holiday's story, or we think we do, incredible singer, famously had her demons and her addictions, and that's kind of the story we're told. We never really hear about her as a civil rights leader and um, mm. the the fact that th- this film tries to restore the record, how she was pursued really for her song Strange Fruit, this incredible song, extraordinary song about lynching. Mm. Um, it's an observance of a victim of a lynching, um, yeah. or the multiple victims, I should say. It's a weird song, as it should be. It's confronting. Yeah. And she sang it at these perfectly quaffed, beautiful concerts that she did. Mm. And she was pursued relentlessly for that. And this, this film really gets into that. And it looks at how Billy herself was pursued by the Federal Bureau of Narcotics to get her on drugs charges, to shut her up, basically. You know, because this is a time there were addiction in Hollywood was rife. Judy Garland was famously addicted, was not pursued to any degree in the same way as Billy Holiday was. So it looks at that story we're told about the famous addict, yeah, there is a lot more to it. Wow. Um, mm. Can't wait to have a listen. Yeah, you don't need to hear me tell you that. Let's <laughs> listen to Andre Day. <laughs> Hi, Andre, how are you? Hey, I'm great. How are you feeling? Uh, I'm very well. Um, really appreciate the time with you. I know I know you're a woman in demand. No, that's okay. I mean, this is it's good. I'm glad to be. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's a good place to be. <laughs> the alternative might be a little boring. You know? <laughs> Fair enough. <laughs> Most. Yeah. Um, look, congratulations on the film and absolutely on the success you're having and hopefully more to come. Um, <laughs> not to jinx you. Um, the story itself, I mean, the film makes an excellent case for why we haven't been told the full story before, mm-hmm. but uh, despite being a household name, already the subject of a biopic. You know, we don't know these aspects of Billie Holiday's life until now. Um, I'd love to know what it means for you to be able to connect the dots in her biography to tell this fuller picture. Well, first of all, it's an honour because I just love Billie Holiday and I have, you know, ever since I've been a fan of hers and just studied her from young age into my adulthood, 11, 12, her music, her her person, you know, autobiography. I've I've been a fan, kind of a champion of hers. Mm. And um and really loved her and, and admired her. Like thought of her as just sort of this great leader, you know. So to be able to be a part of that was that is actually pretty or telling, exposing that truth, you know what I mean, yeah. to to the to the greater public. It's really great. It's great to be able to help vindicate her legacy. And it just feels I don't know, the best word to describe it is alignment. Everything is a very spiritual walk for me. And so being aligned is what it feels like, which is just gratitude and fulfillment you know and and also it's just a reminder of like hey we got to continue to tell these stories you know what i mean we have to continue to tell the truth and expose these narratives that have been suppressed you know or have been changed hers being both mm-hmm. and and to understand that there is an intention you know what i mean there's an intention by the overarching culture right in society to suppress these stories to control the narrative and, and continue an agenda of like racial inequality so understanding those things and to say, okay, then if that's the case, we need to make an effort to really um, expose that and tell our stories, which we see. And we see often Black filmmakers and actors and people doing so. It's, it's, it's an honor just as a woman, as a, as a Black person, as, a, as a, just a person in general, you know what I mean? 
Yeah, I can, I can imagine. And I guess you've touched on it, but that, for you personally, the importance of telling it now. Yeah, <laughs> you did just touch on it, but yeah. I'd love to No, no, it's, no, I, I think it's, I see what you mean, obviously. And, and people do bring this up, you know, and they talk about the relevance of it right now. And the reality is Lee says this, Lee Daniels, the amazing director of the film, says this so eloquently when he says it's always relevant, you know, it's relevant when my mother's time, relevant my grandmother's time, it's always relevant. But I think the visibility is there. That's the difference that we're seeing right now is that the world kind of tapped into what was happening here and what happens often with people of color and marginalized people. And so we saw that solidarity in other nations and uh, especially obviously with the advent of social media, you have access, you know, we're kind of a smaller globalized community now. And so there's a visibility that we didn't necessarily have before. And so it is, it's, it's opportune that it's being told in this time and that this is when it's released also in the middle of a pandemic when everybody sort of has to be still and to kind of pay attention, you know, as we ride mm. this out. And I do think there is something to the, the timing of it, though it's always relevant. I think there is something spiritually for me that I believe God is doing and that is um, sort of divinely orchestrated or fortuitous in, in this time. Mm. I'm, I'm shocked, you know, that this is your first acting role, by the way. Um, Me too. And <laughs> Me too. <laughs> what a ride you're having, though. <laughs> what a way to go. <laughs> um, but, you know, I've read that you were quite hesitant to take it on. Um, but what was it that sealed it for you? Uh, it was two things. It was three things, really. It was Lee, Lee himself. I think he is really brilliant. He introduced me to Tasha Smith, my acting coach, Tom Jones, my dialect coach. He's also just an incredible casting director, right? His sister as well, too, um, uh, Leah. Uh, so it was it was him. I, I could see that, that he had a commitment to tell this story. It was like, no matter what was going on in his life, it was, I got to do Billy. I got to do Billy. I got to do Billy. He was, I think he was so really kind of frustrated by the fact that the government was able to successfully keep the truth about her legacy as the great godmother of civil rights away from him. You know what I mean? And he fancies himself someone who's knowledgeable about Black history. The other thing was, you know, the script, Susan Laurie Parks, Johan Hari itself. I didn't want to remake Lady Sings the Blues, A, because I love the movie and I think Diana is impeccable. B, because I just didn't want to remake a story that didn't help to tell the more truth about her narrative. So it was, it was an amazing story and one that we needed, but I know that it wasn't the full picture of Billie Holiday's fight and the government going after her. You know, those parts we we had to leave out because of the mm -hmm. timing of the movie and the fact that the people that persecuted her were still alive. So yeah. I was reading the script and knowing that I'd be vindicating or we'd be vindicating Billie Holiday's legacy for the greater public now. And then the third thing was prayer for me. Again, you know, I, I, I consider myself a deeply spiritual person and and I have a relationship with God, with Christ. And and one of the things that I had to do before this was, well, in the middle of trying to pray it away, I was like <laughs> trying to go through the motions without still not disappointing people while just like praying that it would just leave and go away. <laughs> but um, but uh, it, actually that day in scripture and meditating on a particular scripture was about um, being caused to do an act of great faith, not praying the storm away, rather getting out of the boat and walking on the water. So trusting, and I had to do that. I had to trust God. I had to trust Leah. I had to trust my cast. I'm thankful to them because they also had their own leap of faith, right? These are established actors, and that's a risk to jump in with a space with a rookie like me, you know? So I'm very appreciative to them for that. Of course, central to the to the film is emphasizing and underscoring the power of the song, Strange Fruit, mm -hmm. um, you know, which, which itself is a strange song in that, you know, it's poetic, but it's also really gruesome. Um, yeah. 
importantly so. Uh, mm-hmm. can, can we talk about the song and, and can you recall when you first heard it and, and did you fully comprehend the, the lyrics at the time? Like how old were you when you, when you first heard the song? Oh, I, I was quite young when I heard it. So no, I didn't comprehend the lyrics. I, I just comprehended the mood and the sure. feeling and the, and I could empathize, you know, I just, I felt for her. I felt like I, something bad had happened to her and I was like kind of, you know, sad and nervous. And I just, you know, it's like, she sounded like she was in so much pain, you know, I also comprehended that what it is she was singing was somehow directly related to me. Mm. The song really prostrated me. It was only the second song I had heard from her. I was introduced to her by my musical theater instructor when I was like 11 or 12 years old. And then I listened to a song called Sugar, which introduced me to her voice, which was so different. And then I heard Strange Fruit. And it really struck me and prostrated me. And so I couldn't process it completely all I just knew was I you know I had to I had to put it down and I had to go back and listen again I had to put it down go back and listen ultimately my encounter with her helped me to just establish and accept who I am or what my musical and artistic contribution is and and it gave me a desire to prostrate people as well you know the way she did she did me it was wasn't until I started to get older and started to continue to listen and then read more about her and then read her autobiography that I realized, whoa, what she sacrificed to sing that song, you know. Mm. And by the time we see you sing it in Strange Fruit, we've come to, you know, appreciate some of that price. In the shooting, did you hold off in shooting that scene as well? Or, or like, was it <laughs> no. the first day of the set or anything, was it? <laughs> First of all, if I had control over the shooting schedule, we had never shot it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was terrified because... <laughs> It's, I, I was terrified of the oneer. It was a oneer of her seeing the lynching and going through the house. And the, I mean, yeah. when I tell you, I had knots in my stomach for almost for a year and a half, almost two years straight, waiting to film this. And then when I get there, we literally filmed the oneer in the first week of shooting. I was horrified. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> no. I was so nervous. But we didn't really hold off. I mean, we, we didn't split, shoot them in the same day, though. Uh, and it was it was just a wait. I mean, you know, as you said, it's a gruesome song. And I think that was the first time I knew the song was gruesome. But I was like, it's beautiful. It's gruesome. It's powerful. But I realized the song is not beautiful, you know, or at least not for me, not anymore in that moment. I still love it for what it is. But I realized, you know, I began to feel really, really bitter towards audiences on set, even though they're set audiences and, you know, they're my castmates. I began to feel really bitter toward them for clapping, you know. I just said to myself, that's how funny. It's like, it's like literally somebody being like, hey, my mom died. And then you clap and cheer and say, that's beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, that's what it feels like. Because the song is horrific. Lynching is horrific, you know? So my attitude changed with my, with her presence, you know? Mm. Yeah. Aside from the song existing as a challenge, like, you know, literally stop killing us. um, Yeah. (laughs) Is it it a challenge to sing as well? I mean, it it seems a tricky one to, to actually technically sing. I'm <laughs> yeah I mean phrasing wise absolutely you know yeah. with this song it's not about just like hitting the right notes or hitting whatever it's literally hitting an emotional chord every time you land every time you come into the note and every time you leave the placement of it is crucial and that's what made Billy so brilliant was her placement and her phrasing and so the challenge really is like the timing's everywhere there's no click there's no timing to it so you just have to feel it completely and then you have to land it in a way that the audience can feel it, you know, because mm-hmm. sometimes you can be feeling something, but it's not translating, you know, so it, ha- it can't just be internal, but it does have to be both. It has to be internal and external. So it's, uh, it's not challenging, not for me necessarily range wise, 
but it's challenging phrasing and making sure that the song is actually translating and and that you're landing everything you know as she would or a version of as she would and an, an interpretation of how she would do it to mm. elicit the same emotional response from from people sure and um you know speaking of response you, you get to deliver the line you know which is factual isn't it um that you know your grandkids will be singing the song mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. and how um talk us <laughs> through you know saying something like that knowing that you know you're making a film about it you've nominated for an oscar for talking about it for the film about <laughs> it yeah, yeah you know like yeah, the legacy I mean, lives on you know it just reminds me of what i think about her what i think about her what i think about the song strange fruit what i think about this movie when i think about lee daniels when i think about you know my castmates my co-stars you know truth you know what i mean when i think about god i think about truth right and my faith is the god we serve it called faithful and true you know what i mean and i think that when i think about her she exemplifies that and really what that statement is is true she was right <laughs> i've sung strange fruit even before this movie you know what i mean yeah. you know nina simone went on to sing it so many singers have sung it jill scott sang it beautifully so many singers have sung it so many rappers have sampled it you know musicians have mm-hmm. sampled it have played it she was right. The song was inducted into the Hall of Fame. I don't even know if she was saying that as in, I know that this is what's going to happen. I almost wonder if it was her way of sort of like not putting a hex on him, but kind of, you know what I'm saying? Like, this is, you know, you're killing me right now, but I'm actually speaking this into existence. Not that like, hey, I know what's going to happen. Rather, I'm cursing you with this. Your grandchildren will be singing Strange Fruit. From here on out, the world will be singing Strange Fruit forever, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, That was kind of a feeling on set and I and I and so I wonder you know if she could see it now which she does you know how much she realizes people did not forget her you know or she thought that they would and and um they haven't they haven't forgotten her they haven't forgotten the song and sadly we can't forget the song unfortunately because it's still relevant like yeah. I'd love to be able to forget it <laughs> you know what I mean yeah oh, we yeah. fucking can't because it's still happening which is crazy yeah no, so true and you know an aspect of the film like it your look is so glamorous, <laughs> like being in the forties. Um, yeah, like, I love vintage anyway. But yeah, me you too, look just me too. Exquisite. I can yeah. tell that from your picture. I love your glasses. <laughs> I love the red lip, the pearl earrings. Okay, side slip hair. You, you got it. I can tell from oh. your picture. Yes, I do too. So, <laughs> um, and I'd, I'd love to talk that. You know, how much of that was just the glamour of celebrity, and you know, being being a successful woman, being a success, uh, successful black woman. Um, mm-hmm. And how much was an element of camouflage as well? Oh, I think it was camouflage, but I think actually more than that, I don't even know if it was camouflage. I think it was activism, it was fight, you know what I yeah. mean? Because she wasn't supposed to be wearing those things, you know, it was, and that was even written about, you know, people talked about it, people wrote about it. They loved it. In the same breath, they'd have articles that would write about her amazing fashion and she was wearing innovative things that people hadn't seen and, you know, they hadn't seen done, not on just a black woman, a period, you know, yeah. she was really a huge superstar alive, you know, but it was her, it was, I think her fashion was also her activism. Cause on the other hand, you'd also have people who would say, how dare this black woman be wearing a fur coat, looking like a monkey in a fur coat. How dare she be wearing diamonds? How dare she be wearing expensive perfumes and flaunting that she has, or, you know, all of these things. And I think it was probably definitely a camouflage for the pain but not for her person. She was a strong, successful black woman and she, and a strong, successful queer black woman who wanted to live mm-hmm. freely and express herself in every way. And, and that was a defiance, you know what I mean? For them, for a society that wants to perpetuate, right? White supremacy, that, and that, that, that is a strong 
you know, self-assured black woman is a confident black woman is, is a defiant. So I actually think that her fashion, I, I admire it even more because it, first of all, it was great. But secondly, it was like, nah, I'm going to wear these fancy shoes <laughs> because yeah. they want to work with me. I'm going to wear this fur coat. I'm going to wear these diamonds. I'm going to wear these dresses. I'm going to sleep in my dresses. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> so I think it was a bit of both. Yeah, no, totally, totally. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now now the film um, is out and, and with the accolades that you're receiving for this, you know, unfortunately it's news, but, you know, you are breaking barriers um, that should have been broken long ago. Obviously, yeah. <laughs> yeah, let's face it, but um, but here we are. <laughs> yeah, I'd love, love your take on that and just, like, navigating this award season yeah. for such a film about representation but also mm-hmm. the, the signals you're sending as well. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, navigating is the right word because that is sort of what I'm doing. I'm super grateful. This is amazing. And I'm very caught off guard by it all because I didn't expect it. And I'm not just saying that as a cliche. Like, I I really was just kind of like, I'm going to do this movie and then get out. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, okay. And that'll, it'll just end up on the thing and be in the ether and cool and we're done, you know? So, um, I forgot about this whole other job. (laughs) But it is a navigation because I'm like, I want to be grateful and I want to celebrate. And I don't think we should take away from each other's moments of enjoying that and these accomplishments and these things. But yeah, I'm still a black woman living in America. Like I'm aware, you know what I mean? Like it's just the other part of it. That's like, I don't really want to have sugarcoated conversations where I'm like, I don't see any problem. I'm nominated and it's great. I do see a problem, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've seen a problem since before I even got into this is because this is representative of a grander society, not of life, but of cultures, you know, um, sociocultural norms and things like, you know, we sort of see ourselves through the lens of men, through the lens of white men, typically white Christian straight men. Mm-hmm. And that includes representation in these creative spaces, you know, because that includes representation in office spaces and in, you know, any, in often all spaces. Yeah. So this idea of like, okay, great. I'm so happy that people are celebrating. I'm glad they're feeling it because it means it's resonating and it's revelatory for people. The other side of it is great. Now, God always reminds me of this too. This is a blessing. Enjoy the blessing. Be thankful, be grateful for it. But remember that it's also a tool. And I definitely want to use it for that reason to just expand the platform to be able to tell more underrepresented stories and also to just give a platform for representatives of those communities to tell their stories and to represent their stories and their people and their narratives. So, you know, it's, it's, it's exciting for a couple of reasons, but that's one of them. You know, I mm-hmm. want my another, if I could just be another hat in the ring or another iron in the fire, then I, I, I want to do that, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. And yeah, that's no small thing. Um, I'm afraid I'm getting the wind up. So I've got one last question for you. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd just love to know, like, what's next for you? You know, now um, you're a bona fide actress now. And is this something you're going to uh, to keep pursuing? You've got the taste for it now? No, thank you. I, I appreciate that. Um, I, I, I am, you know, I, I don't, listen, I, I don't want to do too many more, to be honest with you. There's a lot. I, I kind of been wrestling with this idea that, oh, my God, Billy will be the greatest thing that I ever do. And, you know, which is fine. I don't really. It's fine. If I had to leave it all today, then I'd be happy with that. You know, but I, I it's as long as they speak to me. Right. I'm again, like everything is prayer. Everything is God led for me. So if he leads me to it and it's it's for me, then I, I receive it and I want to do it. But I'm excited to really get behind the camera. I've started developing some ideas you know, just co-writing, co-directing, co-producing, wherever that, with great, great talent who's established in this business already. And then, um, you know, the album is releasing June 4th and I'm in talks with Lee to about another um, picture as well too and some other things we're looking at. So it's, it's um, 
There's some things. Yeah, definitely. We'll see how it all unfolds. I might just be like, fuck it all. I'm tired of shit. I'm taking a year to go. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I'll, I'll, well, prime, well, I'll prime the pump. Prep the team so they won't be so horrified when I come out and do it. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, I'm here for it. That's for sure. Um, <laughs> yeah. Look, thank let's you so go. much. Where, and where are we going? <laughs> let's go. Exactly. Going? Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. <laughs> Put your fancy fr- threads on. Um, there you go. With our vintage, yeah. our vintage threads. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, look, it's been a real treat to talk to you. Um, what we're we rooting for you on Oscar Day. Love thank your work. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. I appreciate that. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was Andrew Day from the United States versus Billie Holiday, which is out now in cinemas. Wasn't that a delightful conversation full of compliments for you, Fee? Oh, look, you know, me and Andrew, we're just best friends now. So, uh, no, <laughs> she, that was fantastic and she didn't walk away a winner, but she's certainly... She's a winner in our eyes oh. as a friend of the show. <laughs> well, she's now a friend she's, of the show. She's, yep. she's won in, in many ways. That's far better than an Oscar. Just, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Calling out all the filmmakers and, and actors out there, just so you know. Being on the playlist is better than an Oscar. That's the hottest ticket in town. (laughs) Let's uh, wrap up with a couple of on-demand picks. Yes, let's do that. Would you like to go first? I would like to go first. (laughs) You put me on the spot. (laughs) I do want to do a call out for a really incredible documentary series that's launching on May 5th on SBS and SBS On Demand, See What You Made Me Do, based on the best-selling book by investigative journalist Jess Hill. This tackles the very challenging subject of Australia's reality of domestic violence and, in particular, coercive control um, within relationships and the number of women that have died as a result of the actions of personal relationships is really astonishing and really a tragedy. But what Jess Hill has been able to do is investigate programs that have attempted to address domestic violence and legislative regimes internationally that have tried to tackle coercive control with positive effects. So ultimately, I think you come away from this having a really strong understanding of the issues and and an understanding of the things that Australia can and should be doing to make a difference. Yeah, so true. It's a three-part series. It is outstanding. Yeah, and I think just also, you know, so much emphasis is on the victim-survivor in a domestic abuse relationship. It's like, why don't they just leave? Um, And it gets into that. It also puts the focus on the behaviour, like the perpetrator behaviour. Yeah. Um, why does he do it? Why do they do it? And it does get into that. And um, like you say, it, it offers solutions. It's not just a, it's just insurmountable. We can't do anything. That You know, very practically, she does show examples that, that are proven, you know, to, to make a difference here. So, I, yeah, I would absolutely encourage you to watch it as well. It's so important. Yeah, and we should say, you know, th- this is serious stuff and it does tend to bring up things for people. So, you know, if it does, if the conversation does bring up anything for you, 1-800-RESPECT.org.au, um, it, confidential resources and information and counselling are available there. So it's, and, and the show, of course, comes with, it comes with those um, appropriate call-outs as well. So that's See What You Made Me Do and that's out on SBS May 5th and SBS On Demand. Fee, do you have a pick for us? I do. Um, 
Look, I've got The Handmaid's Tale. It's, mm, uh, <laughs> I've heard of that. Yeah, maybe. Perhaps you've heard of it. Um, <laughs> it's back. Finally, uh, I'm a super fan of it. Uh, we're up back for season four. As we speak, it's out in the world. Uh, we've got three apps dropping on SBS On Demand, two apps on SBS, but catch up on, on the 6th of May with three apps, three and four will screen. So yeah. Watch however you want. Exactly. It's confusing, but we're here for you if you have any questions. Uh, Good for you in many ways because, Fee, I happen to know that you host a very popular podcast, Eyes on Gilead, which follows each episode and is probably the best way to to work through your feelings once you have viewed each episode of, of Handmaid's Tale. Oh, well, thank you for saying, Ben. That would sound terrible if I said that, so I appreciate you <laughs> you saying that. Yes, no, Eyes on Gilead, we're back Um with my partner in crime, Jeremy Wilmot, producer of this show. Uh, Stinged yes, producer. Indeed. <laughs> uh, yes, with Natalie, Haiti, Sana. We're back to dissect every single episode of The Handmaid's Tale Season 4. Very exciting. If you've never seen The Handmaid's Tale, I would urge you... Where to- have you been? Yeah, well... <laughs> <laughs> Again, not for me to say, but uh, you can watch series one, two, three on Stan, uh, or I've written a comprehensive refresher <laughs> for people <laughs> who maybe didn't get a chance to re. It's been a long time since season three aired. It has, um, of course, given the pandemic, uh, production had to be shelved for best part of last year, but they were able to come back and make the series safely in their COVID bubble. Um, but yeah, last time we left off, June had a gunshot wound in her guts, and uh, there was a plane load of children going to Canada. And without preempting something that I'm sure you discussed on, on Eyes on Gilead, do you feel like the pandemic, that sort of feeling of, of dread and isolation, does that find its way into this season? Uh, yes. There's a line actually in episode one of season four that's a little nod to, I think, everyone. Uh, June is in a room and she said... Pain makes your world very small. My world has been this room. Um, yeah, and I think we'll all say... We all know what that's like. Same, <laughs> <laughs> She's not Zooming every hour on the hour, but, uh, yeah, no, we can... It's very relatable, and I think that's a little line to the world to say, <laughs> we know. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, it's a good one. I've seen three apps so far, and look, it's good to be back in that weird world <laughs> mm. and out of this one, you know? Well, that's it for our show. Big show. Another big show. Make sure you subscribe to SBS The Playlist wherever you get your podcasts and give us a lot of stars and leave a nice review because it helps people to find us. And you can let us know what you thought of the movies and TV shows we discussed on Facebook or Twitter at SBS Movies. And I'm on Twitter at Ben Nguyen TV. And I'm on Twitter at Anything But Fifi. And The Playlist is produced by Jeremy Wilmot. Until next time. Thanks for listening.